Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. Well, let me invite you to open your Bibles or turn them on, turn your screen on, whatever, to Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2. This morning we're going to look at the first 16 verses there in Ruth chapter 2. While you're doing that, Several years ago, I was the chaplain of a football team, and it was always funny to be their chaplain because um, I knew that there were people in sports who had superstitions. Uh, I know that if you're a pitcher and you're pitching a a no-hitter, there's one rule. Don't talk to the pitcher about pitching a no-hitter. In fact, don't talk to him. Let him set, set off to the side. I, I knew that Michael Jordan, the entire NBA career, wore, wore his, his uh, North Carolina blues. Why would you wear that color blue anywhere? But he wore, wore that blue. Well, you know, it's okay to wear them because you wore them under something else, right? But he wore those North Carolina blue shorts under his uniform all the time. Well, this morning as I was thinking about it, I was thinking about just what are some other superstitions people have when, they, when it came to coaching or, or, or in, in athletics. So here, here's, here's a few for you. Uh, John Henderson was a, ja- a Jaguars defensive tackle. Henderson, before every game, would psych himself up. He'd get all excited, all ready to go, and then he'd go get the assistant athletic trainer, and he'd say, I want you to slap me as hard as you can in the face. I'm thinking I could have come up with something better that wouldn't have been so painful. But every game, he let the assistant trainer hit him as hard as he could in the face that got him ready to walk out on the field. Okay. Uh, Les Miles. Many of you remember Les Miles. Les was the former LSU football coach in Baton Rouge. Uh, Les Miles is famous for his pregame ritual was he'd walk out on the field He'd bend over and pick up grass from the grassy field. I don't know what he did on a turf field, but on a grass field, he'd pick it up, he'd hang on to the grass, and then he'd eat it. That was his, his reminder. It was his pregame ritual. He says it would make him remind him that he's, no, he's nothing but a part of the game, that it would humble him to just realize he's a part of what's happening on this field. I, you know, I guess cows eat it, less miles can eat it, right? Um, uh, Sabrina Williams, so, just so we know that men aren't the only crazy ones, uh, women are crazy as well, and we know that, we just can't say it out loud around our wives. But um, Sabrina Williams, the tennis player, she has this ritual, and she can keep it as far as I'm concerned. She learned, and it works for her, to wear the same pair of socks without washing them for an entire tournament. Yeah, ugh. listen, if I wear a pair of socks for an hour, I promise you I'm not putting them back on. I'll go to the closet and get another pair. I got enough socks that that happens. So, but she would, she, she would, you know, and you got to think a tournament's not just one day. A tournament's a several day process. And so she does not take the, she does not wash those socks. And she said in an interview that one day she washed those socks and messed her whole tournament up. I guess it could be worse. Uh, they play about 164 matches, games, tournaments, whatever. I guess she could not. She could wear the same pair without washing them for 164. Uh, they might stand up on their own and walk out on the tennis court by themselves. Uh, one more. I'll give you one more. Wayne Gretzky, uh, the retired NFL or the NHL hockey player. 
he had this thing about his stick. Now, hockey players, you know, everybody has their own stick. You, you take care of your stick. And what he would do was he would tape the tape, the friction tape, to the blade. Okay? So if you look at hockey, you see on the bottom of their, their sticks, the blade is the stick that sticks out there, or the, the piece of the stick that sticks out there. It was he'd tape it with friction tape. But to help it so that it didn't have that sticky feeling, he put baby powder on his hockey stick. In fact, he said, I, you know, you treat the hockey stick like you want to be treated. And so he would take baby powder and put on his hockey stick. And then he wouldn't let any teammate uh, stick touch his stick. Uh, everybody has these superstitions. You know, in fact, I just, when, when, when I was the chaplain for this football team, they had these superstitions in that they wore the same outfit, shorts, the same shorts, same socks. Now they washed them. If they didn't, they didn't tell me. Um, but, but that's what happened. And, and in particular, one, one time, I, and I've told the story about uh, reaching out to one of the coaches about his language and, and how, how he stopped cussing after a big win for his pregame talk. But what I didn't tell him that story was I agreed after that moment to wear shorts throughout the entire season which was not a big deal, except we went to the playoffs and went on to the state championship. The Friday after Thanksgiving that particular year, there's snow on the ground. It's blowing cold. They've, they've swept the football field so we can play football. And where is Ernie? In a pair of shorts standing on the sideline. It was a little cold that night. Superstitions. And it's funny. When I would talk to coaches about superstitions, they'd say, oh, we don't really believe in them. But we're not going to stop them. We don't, we don't really believe them, but, but it's just part of our ritual now. Well, this morning, I want you to understand that God is greater than anything we face. In fact, there's no superstitions. There's nothing like that 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 we need to be worried about. In fact, Numbers tells us this. Look at Numbers 23, 23. No curse can touch Jacob. No magic has any power against Israel. For now it will be said of Jacob, what wonders God has done for Israel. Now remember, we are Israel now. We're God's people. There's no magic. There's nothing. First uh, John 4, 4. If you are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because of the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Listen, God's the greatest thing you and I can ever experience in this world. So there's no fear of us feeling like we're going to have a bad day because it's Friday the 13th. It's not going to be a bad day because we walk under a ladder or see a black cat or you, whatever it is. Listen, I promise you, you won't have a bad year if you don't eat, what is it, cooked cabbage and black-eyed peas? I hadn't done that ever, and I've had pretty good years. So this morning, I want you to remember, God is greater than anything we face. He is our provider. In Ruth chapter 2, we find God's hand at work providing. Would you stand as we read the first 16 verses of chapter 2? Begin in verse 1. Now Naomi 
had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. Ruth, the Moabite, asked Naomi, Will you let me go into the fields and gather the fallen grain behind some, someone with whom I find favor? Naomi re answered her, Go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he, he said to the harvest, harvesters, Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they replied. Boaz asked his servants who was in charge of the harvesters, who's the woman in this field? The servant answered, she is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She asked, will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and she had been on her feet since early in the morning, except the that she rested a little in the shelter. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in any other field, and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which fields they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you, go, you are thirsty, go drink from the jars the young men have filled. She fell down, bowed to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor with you, so that you noticed me, although I am a foreigner? Boaz answered her, Everything you have done for, my, for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and your mother in your native land, and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you, for what you have done. And may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to, for refuge. My Lord, she replied, I have found favor with you, for you have comforted and encouraged your servant, although I am not like one of your female servants. At mealtime, Boaz told her, come over here, have some bread and, and dip it in the vinegar sauce. So she sat beside the harvesters, and he offered her roasted grain. She ate and was satisfied and had some left over. When she got up, she gathered the grain. Boaz ordered his young men, let her even gather among the bundles. Don't humiliate her. Pull out some of the stalks from the bundles for her and leave them for her to gather. Don't rebuke her. So Ruth gathered the grain in the field until the evening. She beat it out and had what she gathered and it was about the 26 quarts of barley. You may be seated. Here's a big idea let's catch this morning. It's real simple. Regardless of our circumstances or the circumstances, God is at work. Our job is to trust in him and he will provide. Simple, right? Regardless of our circumstances, regardless of the circumstances you face in this life, our job is to trust God because he's at work. We watch what's going on in the world today with Ukraine and all these things. Can I tell you God is at work? It doesn't, it may not appear to you, 
But God's at work in the midst of this. Our job is to trust him and, and he will provide. So we look at this text and I want you to catch some things from this text. So if you're taking notes, let me share the first thing with you. God provides even when we don't realize it. God provides even when we don't realize it. So let's think about this for a moment. Naomi and Ruth have come home, or it's Naomi's home. They've come back. The writer of, of Ruth, who most people believe it's Samuel, kind of gives us a little insight as to what's going on. He tells us right out of the gate that there is this prominent man. And he's of the family of Naomi's husband. So we know that, but Ruth does not know that. And Naomi at the moment doesn't realize that Boaz is even close. But we know that. The writer gives us that detail. And so as, as we look at the text, we see where they've moved home. But here's the reality. They've moved home, but life's not any easier. They're still without food. They're still hungry. They still got to do some things. And so Ruth looks at her mother-in-law and says, Hey, do you mind if I go to the field and glean? Now, it's interesting. Here's a side note, not to go with our point, but a side note. If you were reading with us last week in, in Ruth chapter 1, and now you're with us in ch chapter 2, you quickly see a difference in, Ruth's, uh, in Naomi's attitude. Chapter 1, she's bitter. The Lord has brought me back empty. Empty. I left full, came back empty. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Bitter. Chapter 2, we, we see where Ruth says, hey, can I go? And all of a sudden, for whatever reason, Naomi's bitterness has disappeared. She tells her daughter-in-law, go, see, see what you can do. But here's the thing. God is providing even when they don't understand. For you see, we, we've already been told that Boaz is a prominent man and he's a family member. And then and we read where as she goes, uh, the writer likes to use the word happen there in verse 13. That, that Ruth just happened to come into the field. She didn't just happen there. The writer wants us to realize that God's providing. That God provided her to go to the field of Boaz. And, and not only that, but God's been providing for some time. For you see, Old Testament is, they are to, when they harvest, they don't get everything. They're to leave some behind. In fact, look at uh, Luke, uh, Leviticus uh, 19, 9 and 10. So when you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap to the very edge of your field or gather the gleans of your harvest. Verse 10 says, do not strip your vinery or uh, vine vineyard of bare. Do not strip your vineyard bare or gather its fallen grapes. Leave it, leave them for the poor and the resident alien. I am the Lord, your God. God set up a long time ago a command not to do those types of things. 
But that there will be people who come along who need that. They're poor. They have no money. They own no field. Guess what? Ruth fits that. God was preparing back in Leviticus for Ruth and Naomi. He, he had this provision. Now here's the thing. I told you in verse 3 says that she happened on that field. She didn't happen on that field. God led her to that field. Because here's the thing. Just because God said it doesn't mean everybody obeyed it. You following? This means yes. This means no. You following? Because we even live in a world that acknowledges who God is, but we don't follow who God is. We know that the Bible says to love our neighbors. But some of us are pretty bitter about our neighbors. We know that the Bible tells us we are to pray for those in authority who govern us. But some of us can only do that when our party gets to the White House. When it's not our party, we're not praying for our party. It's only when our man is in the White House that we, that we pray. So let's just, be un, let's just be clear. Just like we don't follow everything that God commands us, although we should be in shame on us, the same way was happening then. So God's providing by sending her to Boaz's field because not every landowner would do that. Some landowner said, forget that. I need all I can get. I want more. And so they wouldn't leave the gleanings to the edge. They'd go all the way to the edge. They, they would get as much as they can. So God provides by sending her to Boaz. God's doing that for you and I. God's working and providing for you and I. We've just got to trust him. We've just got to believe it. We've just got to understand that he's got it all under control. As a kid in vacation Bible school and in church, we used to sing this song. He's got the whole world in his hands. 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 You believe that? Do you believe that? So if he's got the whole world in his hands, what's our responsibility? To trust. He's got it. Just trust. And the second thing we find from this text is, is simply this. God protects us if we'll trust him. If we'll trust him, he'll protect us. He, he'll, he'll protect us. He'll, he'll lead us in the right direction. He'll He'll provide for us. He'll make sure that things work out. Now, listen, his protections may not be like what we want them to be. We may wish he would do things differently, but he sees the bigger picture. We don't. But God protects us. He's going to trust us if we trust him. And so there's, there's this thing happening in this text that Trust is taking place. And Naomi has sent Ruth to a field. And as Ruth gets there, she encounters Boaz. 
she begins to trust him. Let me give you three things about that. First one is simply this. Trust God to invite the right person. Trust God to invite the right person. We find in the text where, where Boaz has come to the field having a conversation with his men. He looks up and says, who's this other woman? And they begin to tell him. God has a way of putting people in our lives and sometimes we don't even realize what he's doing. He brings people in our lives who will encourage us, pick us up, pray for us. It's all the way he's doing it to protect us. We've just got to trust God puts the right people in the right places. And God will do that. God God will do that. He's, He's done that for you. You've had moments of wondering how things would work out, and yet God God placed the right person in your life at the right time. For Ruth, God made sure she encountered Boaz, because Boaz is going to change her life. The second thing we find in this text is trust God to, to implement the right plan. To implement the right plan. Now, I, I've, I've shared before, I'm not a patient person. No amen from the front view. I, 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 you know, I know I'm not a patient person. And so, when I believe God's at work, I expect it to be now. God, I'm, I'm praying for this. I know that you have the power to do it. Let's just get it done right now. Why do we need to wait? Why do we, what's the worry? Listen, you do it right now and tons of people will go, that has to be the hand of God. If you wait, you know, there'll be some doubts and some questions. Was it God or was it happenstance? So God, let's just get it done right now. But that's not God's way. I'm still waiting on a phone call from God to go, what do you think, Ernie? How do you think I ought to handle this? And I haven't gotten it. Mike, have you ever gotten that call? No, I don't, I don't think anybody's ever gotten that call. Because God has a plan. And it's the right plan. And the plan here is, we see being implemented. She's in the field. Boaz recognizes her. And, and he tells her, here's what I want you to do. Just stay with my, with my crew. He tells the crew, hey, let, let's, let's make it even easier for her. Why don't you pull some things out? Don't humiliate her. Just, just, just you know, just make, just, just make her job really easy. Just take care of her. God had a plan. And listen, I, if Naomi and Ruth, if it was up to them, they'd have never come back to Bethlehem. Their husbands would never have died, so they wouldn't have had to come back. But they wouldn't be where God wanted them to be. God has a plan. We have to trust his plan. The third thing we see in this text, or this portion of the text, is trust God to inspire the right perspective. I I love what happens here in verse 10 when, when Ruth has this conversation with Boaz. He's told her, this is what's going to happen. Don't don't worry about it. She bows down. She falls face down and bows to the ground and says to him, why have I found favor with you 
that you would notice me, although I'm a foreigner. Listen, for, for you and I, we should have the right perspective as well when we trust God. In fact, our, our response to God should be mimic that of what sh- she did. Why have I found favor before you, God? For I'm a sinner. When, trust, when you trust God, you get the right perspective. You get the right perspective in, in how things look. This morning in a Sunday school class, we were talking about the things in Ukraine and, and that we're praying for Putin. Now our perspective is, Lord, just take him out. Put a red dot right there and let him be gone. But the right perspective is, Lord, may he come to know you. May he fear you. And may his life reflect your love. That's the right perspective. But we're so quickly want to say, just take him out. And sometimes we pray the right perspective and then go, Lord, now if he doesn't, would you just take him out? You do what you've done. But, but the right perspective is, Lord, may he come to know you. May his life be changed by the power of God. And the only way you can pray that prayer for Putin or whoever's in the White House is that you, have the, that you trust God and he gives you the right perspective on things. We come to this place and Ruth begins to see a whole new perspective. I mean, listen, she's a foreigner. She's not, they don't have to do anything for her. They could take advantage of her. They could mistreat her. But Boaz says, no, this is what we're going to do. And he tells his men that. All because God is providing, God is protecting because she's trusting. How well do you trust God? How well are you seeing what God's doing and are you trusting in Him? You recognize that He provides? Or are you looking at your life and going, well, I got that accomplished. Look what I did. Do you even acknowledge God is in control of your life? Third thing we find from this text is God's provision are always more than we need. God's provisions are always more than we need. You notice in the text that Ruth is invited to the table to eat. Come get some bread. Dip it in the sauce. It's really good. Here's some roasted grain. Listen, that's not something that just happens. That's not something that everybody who, who wandered into the field got to participate in. But God was providing. God was protecting. And his provisions are amazing. Because text tells us she ate and was satisfied and took some home. 
She was able to glean more in the field because of what they were doing. God is at work. His provisions are better than we could imagine. There are days in our lives where we put things in our own hands and we think, we think things are going to be great because of the way we, we got it planned out. But God's ways are better. And God's ways are better. For me, I can remember graduating high school and praising the Lord that I got out. I've escaped. I went one year to the community college, or let me rephrase that. I went one semester to the community college and proved to my mother that I didn't need to go to college. And so I went to work. I knew what I wanted to do. I didn't know in what kind of industry at the time, but I knew what I wanted to do. And God opened the doors for me for, to work in the tire industry. And as time went on and my hard work and dedication, I moved up the ladder in independent dealerships and then into corporate management of, of Goodyear and Tire Rubber Company. In fact, I was on track to... To become the head of the South Central Kentucky division for, for Goodyear. I'd made enough friends. They'd saw enough um, gumption in me, I don't know, drive in me. There were dealers from Franklin, Kentucky to Somerset. All these people knew who I was. I had it all worked out. But God had another plan. And, and I'll never forget, it's the, summer, it's the summer of 95, I'm in Atlanta with my church in Lexington. I'm living in Louisville now. And I've told that story. I live in Louisville. I work in Clarksville, Indiana. I just couldn't be a Hoosier. I just had to stay in the bluegrass. And so I go to Promise Keepers in 95, And I knew God had been challenging me on some things. And, you know, I was trying to fit, fit my world of working in the tire industry with God's plans. God, I'll do this. And then in my free time, I can do this. And, you know, I, I volunteered for the, the children's home, Kentucky Baptist Children's Home at the time. Sunrise is now. I was trying to do all these things. And God just kept gnawing at me. And it wasn't working. Why? Because I was trusting in my own gifts and talents. I was trusting in what Erdie can accomplish, what relationships Erdie had. And I'll never forget one night leading up to God's call in my life, one night I finally had gotten frustrated with what was going on and I decided I was going to go back to Lexington. I was going to leave corporate, go back to Lexington, and the dealership there wanted, wanted me to come back, and we talked about ownership. Well, we talked about that, had, had, had dinner that night, how that, what that would look like. I'm 20 years old, 21 years old. We said, well, well, sounds good, we'll talk about it later, and the phone never rang again. That, that deal, what seemed like it was going to be 
done that night never happened. I'd called the bank and had things worked out. Why? Because it wasn't God's plan. And I'll never forget the day that God calls me to ministry. I come to this place and I said, Lord, I'm tired. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll never forget that moment. The burden lifted when I began to trust in him and he began to provide. That story of what happened next would take us the rest of the day of how God provided. You see, I'd never gone to college. I'd, I'd made it successful and, and, and going to college. Goodyear had finally said, Would you go, we need you to go. And I'd, I had enrolled, hadn't even taken the first class. When God said, no, that's not what I want. But God began to provide. Lots of things began to happen. And today I can tell you, his ways are much better than my ways. His ways, his provisions are far greater than mine. This morning, I don't know where you are, but chances are somebody in this room have been trying to do it on their own. They think they can, you, you have this opinion that you're doing fine. According to the world, you're successful. According to your bank account, you may even be successful. But the truth of the matter is, you know down deep inside that there's something gnawing at you because you're just not where God wants you to be. It may not be that you're called to full-time um, ministry. And, and please hear me say this. Don't, don't go to full-time ministry unless God calls. I'm just saying. There's been protection and provision, but don't go unless he calls. But he may be calling you to do something else. To, to, to partner your business or partner your life with the church to do something. Would you just recognize what God's doing? Would you stop trying to, to be what you think you need to be and let God take over? Would you just trust and obey? This morning, he has a plan for you. He'll guide you. It may seem crazy to people around you, but he's got people in the right place. He's got his protection on you, and his provisions are far greater than you think. If you'll just trust. Would you stand with me this morning?